Father, we do thank you and praise you. Um, as we just saying, our, our, our sins are many, but your mercy is more. And so we are grateful for that. Um, Lord, we pray that as we uh, continue our study in Genesis, Father, that you would lead and guide us and show us, Lord, uh, Lord, just that we would show us the story. May it come to life in our imagination. May we see uh, the things that are happening here. Uh, we pray that you would also show us by your spirit, Lord, applications to our own lives, um, that you would just use uh, this time in the word to draw us close to you, uh, Lord, that we would grow deeper in our relationship. Uh, Father, wherever we find ourselves, whether uh, you're auditing Christianity or you've been a, a follower of Christ for decades, Lord, I pray that you would draw us closer to yourself. Uh, may we find true freedom in a relationship with you. We thank you for your mercy and grace in our life, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Okay, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 30. However, what I'm going to read leading into that is back in Genesis chapter 28. So if you would turn back to Genesis chapter 28, uh, in the story of Genesis, we're going back about 20 years to this moment. Remember when when uh, Jacob he had just uh, swindled his brother out of uh, the blessing. His brother had uh, murder in his heart and was going to kill his brother, uh, Jacob. As soon as his father passed away, his mother gets wind of it. She says, you need to go up to my brother's family, uh, go there, find safety. She gets the blessing of the father, and basically Jacob is on the run. He makes it about 40 miles into his 500-mile uh, journey. He, he has nothing. Uh, he has a rock as a pillow. He has this dream. And that's sort of where we pick up our story or where we're going back to our story. Uh, Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had sent, set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. He had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you uh, for this story, Lord. We ask that you would lead us now. In Christ's good name we pray, amen. Okay, so, so God appears uh, to Jacob in this moment as he's on the run. He has nothing. He's fearful. He doesn't know what the future holds. He doesn't even know where he's going. He, he has nothing but the clothes on his body. And God appears to him in this, this moment, and he says, I am God. Um, I'm going to carry on the Abrahamic covenant to you. Um, you're going to go there. You're going to find a wife. And then I'm going to bring you back to the land. Um, as the story unfolded last week, we read he, he gets there, he finds Laban and his family. 
He sees this girl that he falls in love with, Rachel. Uh, he is super stoked. He decides that he would make a covenant with Laban, his, his uh, would-be father-in-law, that says he'll, he will work for seven years. In exchange, he will give Rachel to him as his daughter. He works his seven year, as his wife, not his daughter. Um, he works for him for seven years. Uh, then they have the wedding ceremony. During the wedding ceremony, there's lots of drinking. There's no electricity. There's veils and all sorts of stuff. And Laban, you know, he's got an older daughter um, that is less desirable and can't seem to find a husband. And so he inserts her into the wedding ceremony without Jacob knowing. In the morning, Jacob wakes up and is like, what, what has happened here? Um, the father's like, hey, I don't know how you do it where you come from, but we married the oldest daughter first. And so um, I'll give you the other one. Uh, just finish off this week of celebration. I'll give you the other one. And you work another seven years. And so then he decided to, to acquire Rachel on credit. He works his, se- his seven more years. And last week, we just looked at this long, like sort of uh, child after child after child. So 11 sons are born and one girl is born. And that's sort of where we pick up our story. We are about 20 years in or 14 years in to, to where we pick up. Today, we're going to start at Genesis chapter 30, verses 25. Uh, kind of hold your spot there just to terrify you a little bit and flip your page over to chapter 31, verse 55, just to kind of see where that is. Um, that's where we're going today. So we, we have a lot of ground to cover, um, but the story is all one story. And so we pick up in verse 25 here. Now it came about when Rachel had born Joseph, that's son number 11, that Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my own country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I've served you and let me depart For you yourself know that my service, which I have rendered you. He basically gets Laban and he says, time's up. I've been here. I fulfilled my duty, my commitment. It's time for me to leave and to return to where I came from, to my people. But Laban said in verse 27 to him, now, if it pleases you, stay with me. I have divined that the Lord has blessed me on your account. So he says, it's come to my attention through divination. This is sort of sorcery, witchcraft, the occult, something along those lines. We don't know something other than God, that this uh, occult practice has revealed to him that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has blessed Laban because of Jacob's work. And so he says, basically, can you stick around? Because I'm getting rich because of you. So I'd, I'd appreciate it if you stayed here. And he continued, name your wages and I will give it to you. Like whatever you ask, I'm going to give it to you. That's, that's, that's what we'll do. But he said to him, uh, this is, uh, let's see here, Jacob. But he said to him, you yourself know how I've served you and how your cattle have fared with me. For you have had little before I came and it has increased to a multitude and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turn. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He's like, listen, I've worked well under you. You've, you've, 
You've increased in every way as I've served you and worked for you. But now I have two wives, 12 children, and it's time for me to start providing for my family. And in this chapter, we sort of see Jacob maturing in a way. Suddenly in this chapter, God begins appearing in his life, and he seems to, over the course of this time, develop some maturity, which is good. So he said, what shall I give you? Again, Laban's like, come on, like I'll, whatever, whatever you ask, I'll give it to you. And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you do this one thing for me, I will again pasture and keep your flock. Let me pass through your entire flock today, removing from there every speckled and spotted sheep and every black one from among the lambs and the spotted and the speckled among the goats, and such shall my, be my wages. So my honesty will, ans- will answer for me later when you come concerning my wages for uh, every, every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, will be considered stolen. So he says, okay, you don't have to pay me. What we're going to do is amongst all of the animals, the three different types of animals, I'm going to take the least desirable of these. It's been speculated that this would account for about 10% of the flock, that he would take these out, and that as, uh, as they reproduced and spotted and speckled and black ones of a certain, of the sheep, I think, I'm not, you know, like what, I'm not, I'm not going to get wrapped around the axle there. Um, you can read it for yourself. Uh, he's going to pull these out. Those will be Jacob's. The ones that, that are of, of pure color, those are going to be Laban's. Uh, he's basically saying, I'll take the least of the, of the, of the crop, of the animals. Uh, you can have the ones that are more desirable. They cost more money. You have those. This is a good deal. Laban jumps on it. Verse 34. Laban said, good. Let it be according to your word. They basically shake hands. They spit. They do whatever. They shake hands. They say, that sounds good to me. Now, Laban is a sneaky guy. So he's like, this is a good deal. Uh, just go home, tell your wives about it. I'll be back in a few minutes. So he runs away, verse 35, Laban. So he removed on that day the striped and, the striped and spotted male goats and all the, spotted and, the speckled and spotted female goats, every one with white in it, and all the black ones among the sheep. And he gave them to the care of his sons. And he put a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flock. So what happens? They make the deal. Laban then immediately runs out, grabs all the ones that Jacob says he would take. He pulls them all out. He walks them a three days journey. So that's like 60 miles. Uh, we'll call it Oceanside from here. It's not quite 60 miles, but he basically takes them all the way to Oceanside, separates them. So all of the ones that were supposed to be Jacob's are now gone. And he says, we have a deal. Look at that. They're all, there's none here. And so... Uh, Jacob continues to serve him, and he comes up with a plan in verse 37. Animal husbandry is what they call this. Um, verse 37, it's going to be weird. As uh, Let's just say from verse 37 to like 43, we're not supposed to make sense of what's going on here. It's not supposed to make sense on either side. The, 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 the point that we're supposed to figure out is that what happened is that God is supernaturally blessing Jacob. Uh, God is doing something. Don't try to do this at home. I don't think it'll work. Uh, So the first part in verses 37 through 39, this is called 
uh, visual impression. This is during this period in history, they believed that as the animals were mating, whatever they saw, it would produce in their offspring. So that's me trying to make sense of it, what I just didn't, told you not to do. Um, Then Jacob took fresh rods of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white stripes in them, exposing the white which was in the rods. He set the rods which he had peeled in front of the flocks in the gutters, even in the watering troughs, where the flocks came to drink, and they mated when they came to drink. So the flocks mated by the rods, and the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. So they're creating offspring that fit the parameter that would become Jacob's. So they're producing the children uh, that are, the children, uh, the offspring that would become the ones that he would acquire on his own. Then in verse forty, he separated the lambs and made flocks face toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. And he put his own herds apart, and he did not put them with Laban's flock, so he separated them. Now he's going to go on to to selective breed the animals, which actually is a thing still today. Moreover, when the stronger of the flock were mating, Jacob would place the rods in the sight of the flock in the gutters so that they might mate by the rods. But when the flock was feeble... He did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. So basically, when the stronger animals were going to mate, he would do the little stripey thing with the, with the pieces of wood, and then the stronger ones would produce the, the, the animals that would fit his category of animals that he could keep. And when the weaker ones would go, he would remove that, so those would go to Laban. The point of all this, verse 43, um, So the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. I got a lot of ground to cover. Uh, He's working really, really hard. He's going to work for six years to basically build up his sort of empire and cattle. Um, All the while he's doing this stuff, it seems evident that ultimately behind the scenes, God is is doing the work, and God is creating this increase in blessing Jacob in ways that only God can do. Uh, Spurgeon has a quote that's often referenced towards this passage, and he says, the best and wisest thing in the world is to work as if it all depended on you, and then trust in God, knowing that it all depends upon him. He will not fail us, but we are not, therefore, to fold our arms and sit still. So there's like this tension of like, God is working, but Jacob's not just sitting on the sidelines going, well, I'm just going to trust God and let it all sort of unfold. He's working really hard, and then God is blessing and ultimately is the one who is going to be behind his ultimate prosperity. So he's growing. You know, miraculously, it seems like I've never done this with animals where I tried to stick. Like I had gold, uh, Labrador retrievers. I wish when we bred them, we had some different color sticks just to give it a little shot, just to see, like, get a yellow stick, and we get yellow labs, a brown stick, we get brown labs, a black stick, black lab. We never tried it. But clearly, this is working, and he's growing in wealth, and it's creating a tension within Laban's family and his sons. In chapter 31, verse 1, now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, 
saying, Jacob has taken away all uh, taken away all that was our father's, and from what belonged to our father has made all this wealth. Jacob saw the attitude of Laban, and behold, it was not friendly toward him as, as, as uh, formerly. So here he is. They strike this deal. As th- this deal is unfolding, suddenly, which was like 10% of the, cr- the, the flocks, is like 80% of the flocks. And Jacob is getting wealthier and wealthier and wealthier. Laban's sons have envy toward Jacob, and they're saying, this guy is stealing from our father all of his wealth. Everything that's supposed to come to us is going away. And so they're getting harsh towards Jacob, and Laban is getting harsh towards, uh, Laban is getting harsh towards Jacob. And then God appears to Jacob, verse 3. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. So God appears and he says, you remember how I told you some 20 years ago that I would, I would bring you safely back? That time has come. It's time for you to separate from Laban. It's time for you to place some you know, boundaries in this relationship we're going to see, which is very unhealthy. It's time for you to leave. And so Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah, his two wives, to his flock in the field. He wanted some privacy, so he brings them out to the field in the midst of all the animals, and he said to them, I see your father's attitude that is not friendly toward me as formerly, but the God of my father has been with me. And just from verse 3 to the end, suddenly God is now this like, major component in Jacob's thinking, which it just wasn't a component in his thinking beforehand. And now God is here with him. He's saying, God appeared to me. Uh, Your dad is not friendly. Your brothers are kind of cranky towards me. It's time for me to return to the land in which I came. You know, verse six, that I have served your father with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times. Laban is a scoundrel. He says, okay, you do this, I'll give you 10% of the earnings. Then some time goes along, he's like, oh, let's change that to 8%, a little bit longer, oh, let's change that to 4%. Oh, how about we do it like 1%? Or, you know, like the rules are constantly changing, and Jacob is now growing like super frustrated with his father-in-law because he's not dealing with him with integrity. However, God did not allow him to hurt me. If he spoke thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then the flock brought forth speckled. And if he spoke thus, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock brought forth striped. So basically, as the deal changes, whenever Laban says, oh, no, no, let's go back to the striped ones, the striped ones will be yours. Suddenly now, all of the animals started producing striped ones. If he says, no, 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 let's go with the spotted ones, then all of the animals started going spotted ones. And Jacob's like, Whatever your dad tried to do, and I took the deal, God would then respond in my favor. God has not allowed him to hurt me. Thus, verse 9, God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. I didn't steal anything. God has been shifting his resources and his assets over to me. Verse 10, and it came about at the time when the flock were mating that I lifted my eyes and I saw in a dream. And behold, the male goats which were mating were striped and speckled and mottled. 
modeled. I didn't see, how do I not see that word in my whole like time of studying? It's funny how that happens. Modeled. Anybody know how to model this? What is it? Camouflage. Like camo. I like it. This is like, uh, <laughs> I've been like blowing through this chapter. I'm like, how do I not see that word? Okay. Speckled in camo. I like it. I'm going to look it up afterwards <laughs> to slow down. Okay. Uh, then the angel of, the, of, of God. And so if you see the the in front of an angel of God, if it says an angel or angels, whenever we see the angel of God, we believe that this is the pre-incarnate Christ making an appearance. So here he is. He's having another dream. He's still in the context of talking to his wives. He said, I saw the angel of God, and he said to me in a dream, Jacob. And I said, here I am. He said, lift up now your eyes and see that all the male goats which are mating are striped, speckled, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. God is seeing how he's been mistreating you. I see the injustice that you're suffering. I am the God of Bethel, that location where I met you 20 years ago. Bethel, the place where he had a rock as his pillow, the place where the Abrahamic covenant was transferred to Jacob. I am that God. Where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me, now arise and leave this land and return to the land of your birth. It's time for you to go home. Rachel and Leah said to him, they seem to be in unity, this very dysfunctional marriage relationship, they seem to be sort of functioning in harmony and for one time in this instance. And they said, do we have any portion or inheritance in our father's house? So this, this question sort of like raises some things of the culture back then. Uh, the dowry that was given to the father to, to purchase uh, the bride. So like... Um, in the previous story, when Abraham sent his servant to go find Isaac a wife, the, the dowry that was given, the, the, the custom then was to take the dowry and to sort of place it into uh, like a, a, an IRA account or a 403 account. And it was there as sort of a safety net for the, for the girl, that if her husband died or if something happened, there would be resources for her to be taken care of. And so the girls kind of respond like, our dowry was that you worked for my dad for seven years or twice or 14 years, and he's, he's spent everything. There's nothing for us here. He hasn't cared for us at all. And are we not reckoned by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and, he has, also, and has also entirely consumed our purchase price. Surely all the wealth which God has taken away from our father belongs to us, and our children, now then, do whatever God has said to you. This whole relationship is dysfunctional. I think we established that last week. These girls have some pretty harsh feelings towards their dad. The things that a normal dad would be doing for their children, for their grandchildren, are, are absent. And so they're like, whatever your God says, we're on board. And then Jacob arose, verse 17, and he put his children and his wives upon, uh, upon the camels, and he drove away all his livestock 
and all his property, which he had gathered and acquired, and acquired livestock, which he had gathered in Padam Aram to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. So they gather up everything. They're getting ready to go away. When Laban had done, had gone to shear his flock, then Rachel stole the household idols that were her father's. First case in the Bible of God napping. So she sneaks in while he's away. She steals his little trinkets, uh, um, these household idols, which we'll sort of get into later. And Jacob deceived Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he was fleeing. So he fled with all he had, and he arose and crossed the Euphrates River, and he set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. Okay, i got to get some water here. This is a long stretch. And we have a long way to go. Okay, so in the middle of the night, he's afraid of him. Every time he tries to do something, the dad tricks him. And so he realizes the best way I'm going to do this, I just have to cut ties. We're going to do this clean. He's away. I'm just going to gather my stuff and go. Like, the negotiations are over. I'm, I'm an adult man. If you do the math, he's probably pushing 60 years old because, remember, his brother got married at 40, and now 20 years have elapsed because they're twins. And, and so he's like, I have a family to care for. God has called me back. I have to go. Uh, there's, there's no point in reasoning with him anymore. I'm just going to split. And so he takes off in the middle of, of the night. Um, verse 22, when it was told to Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, so word gets to him, then he took his kinsmen with him and he pursued him a distance of, of a seven days journey. And he overtook him on the hill country of Gilead. God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream of the night and said to him, be careful that you do not speak to Jacob, either good or bad. So as he's pursuing him, Laban is pursuing Jacob. Laban is the bad guy, just to keep it straight in our minds. Laban is pursuing after him. As he's getting within striking distance, God appears to him. And he says, careful what you do. Watch your words, both good and bad. Like, I just don't even want you interacting with them. Stay clear. And Laban then caught up with Jacob, and Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen camped of the hill country of Gilead. Then Laban said to Jacob, what have you done by deceiving me and carrying away my daughters like captives of sword? Why did you not flee? Why did you flee secretly and deceive me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with joy, with songs, with timbrel, with lyre, and did not allow me to kiss my sons and daughters. Why are you sneaking away in the cloak of darkness? I could have had a mariachi band, and we could have had a big party. And I just imagine Jacob going, I remember the last party you threw for me. I ended up marrying the wrong woman. Like, the last thing I want to do is to have another ceremony thrown by you. Um, And then he says, now you've done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. So I imagine him standing there talking to him sort of like with a shotgun or a pistol on his side, like, I have all of this and I can do you harm. But your God showed up and kind of thwarted the plans. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful to not to speak good or bad to Jacob. Now you have indeed gone away because you have longed greatly for your father's house. He's saying, I like want to do you harm. I want to kill you. But your God came and intervened on your behalf. And you're fleeing in the middle of the night. And I don't know what you're thinking or what's going on. But then I have this question for you. 
why did you steal my gods? Which is kind of funny. He meets the real God and he asks, like, like if your God can be stolen, it's probably not a pretty good God. Like this is, um, but he just seems like kind of confused. He's like, okay, we've established. I'm mad at you. Your God intervened. Like I get that you want to go back to your home country, but what do you want with my trinkets? Like, why do you want my gods? And then Jacob replied to Laban, because I was afraid, for I thought you would take your daughters from me by force. I have a family here. I thought you'd break up my family if I left. This is sort of reasonable. Uh, the one with whom you find your gods shall not live. He's like, I didn't take your gods. If you find somebody with them, go ahead and kill them. Now, this could be bad. This is, uh, there's another story in the Bible in the book of Judges where a guy makes a similar sort of vow. The next person we see will be killed, and it turns out it was somebody close to him. Um, but, but he has just no idea that these gods were stolen. He said, in the presence of our kinsmen, point out what is yours among my belongings and take it for yourself. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. Uh, this is sort of like maybe he had some legal recourse. I imagine this is like when a police officer shows up and says, do you mind if I search your house? Well, you have rights and you can say no unless you have a search warrant. But Jacob's like, I don't need the search warrant. Just go through. I didn't take anything. Go look, whatever you see. If you find the person has a key, they can be executed. And so Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two maids. So these are the, the, there's four women that he's involved with, the two daughters, and each of them have a maid. They each have their own tent. And then he entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household idols and put them on the saddle, and she sat on them. There's a whole bunch of humor here. It's been said that the, the, the author of, he, of Hebrews, of Genesis, who writes in Hebrew, that's where my brain got that from, um, is trying to highlight the, the humor, that these, these, these idols are deaf, they're mute, and they're dumb. They're able to be sat on by this girl on a camel. So they're being sat on, they're being hidden, and he's going through everything super desperately. Like he wants these things. And there seems to be something more to these idols than, than just sort of like trinkets. There's a whole lot of speculation on this. The, the one that makes the most sense to me is these uh, idols. It seemed to be whoever had the possession of these idols, it was sort of like a will and trust. If you had possession of them, then you had access and rights to the family inheritance. So it seems to me that Rachel, who already has expressed, the two wives have expressed, that they believe that their father has swindled them out of uh, possessions that were rightly theirs, seem to be possibly taking these to have a claim on their future inheritance. If you go to the Jewish historians, they they spin it in a much nicer light that uh, Rachel just wanted to purify her family of the, the, the idol worship. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> but so she's sitting on them. And Laban felt through all the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, uh, let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of the woman is upon me. So he searched, but he did not find the household idol, idols. So his search is complete. He's, he's ransacked everything that they had. He can't find the thing that he's looked for. Jacob, I think, is just fuming at this point. He's been dealing with this man for 20 years. And now, after 20 years, it's coming to a head. He's had enough. Jacob's matured. He finally has a voice. He's no longer sort of the passive guy on this side. And in verse 36, we read, 
Then Jacob became angry and contented with Laban. And Jacob said to Laban, I believe what we're about to read in the next few verses is a speech that Jacob has reviewed, said to himself, edited over the course of the last 20 years because it's going to come out impeccably. Like he's just going to go for it. Everything that he has against his father-in-law, he's about to let it out. And he says to him, what is my transgression? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? Though you have felt through all my goods, what have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between the two of us. Whatever you found, just laid out here. And he knows he's empty-handed. He has nothing to lay down before them. He didn't find anything. And Jacob is saying, I have integrity now. I am not playing these games. Where's, where's the evidence? It's not there. Verse 38, these 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten your rams of your flocks. I've taken care of your animals. I'm not eating your animals. I am being an impeccable shepherd. That which was torn of the beast, I did not bring to you. I bore the loss out of it myself. If the coyotes got to your animals in the middle of the night, I didn't send you the bill. I just absorbed the cost because it was my responsibility. You required it of my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus, I was by day, the heat, consume, the heat consumed me and the frost by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. He's like, I worked for you around the clock. I was burning up in the middle of the day, and I froze at night, and I worked for you around the clock as if I was serving the Lord. These 20 years I've been in your house, I have served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been for me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the toil of my hands, so he rendered my judgment last night. He said, I left last night. He told me to flee. He met with you, and he's held your hand back from doing me harm. He's like, I've done everything right. You have not done anything right for me over the course of the last 20 years. Then verse 43, then Laban replied to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters, and the children are my children. So the daughters are my daughters, their children are my grandchildren, and the flocks are my flocks. All that you see is mine. So he's changing the deal again. Everything that you have, none of this is yours. It's all mine. It all came from my wealth. But what can I do this day to these my daughters and their children whom they have borne? So now come, let us make a covenant, you and I. Let it be a witness between you and me. Then Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. So that they took the stones and made a heap. And as they ate there by the heap, and then they ate there by the heap. Now Laban called it uh, Jagar Sahadutha, but Jacob called it Galid. 
Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, it was named Galid and Mizpah. Mizpah is a covenant that is a, uh, this is a type of covenant that is a, not a friendly covenant. It's like, if you cross a line, I kill you. you I cross a line, you kill me. Uh, this is a, a firm border that is to be protected. And he said, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from one another. If you mistreat my daughters or you take wives beside my daughters, although no man is with us, see God is witness between you and me. Suddenly he's pretending that he's a great father figure and cares about his daughters. Laban said to Jacob, behold this heap and behold the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass by this heap to you for harm, and you will not pass by this heap and this pillar to me for harm. The God of Abraham and the gods, it should read, of Nahor, the God of their father judge between us. So this is kind of significant. So Laban is coming before him and saying, we're going to make a pact, he says, before your God and then before all these other gods. And so Jacob is sort of at this crossroads. Does he swear by all of the gods? And he kind of gets around it. He's not going to swear by the gods of Laban. He said, so Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. So he is swearing by the God of his father alone. He's not endorsing these other gods or coming under uh, swearing by them. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his kinsmen to the meal. And they ate the meal and they spent the night on the mountain Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his sons and his daughters and blessed them. And Laban departed and returned to his place. Okay, we're right at 40 minutes. Perfect. <clears throat> so what do we do with this passage? This is like, like in conclusion, it's, it's this, this story of this, this unfolding. We see uh, Jacob maturing. Uh, next week, uh, the next couple weeks, really, Jacob is going to continue to mature. He's going to have another encounter with God where he like wrestles with God and his name is going to be changed to Isaac or to Isaac, to Israel, excuse me. And then he's going to encounter his brother Esau. So after 20 years of this bad blood between them, we're going to see great humility before he and his brother where he's going to reconcile this relationship. Um, but Jake, Jacob finally sort of, stands up, and I've been wrestling this week, like, with, like, where is the application here? And so the first thing I, that I, I see is I do think that there is a time to separate uh, from people and to set boundaries. Like, the whole relationship between he and Laban was just super unhealthy. It's just an under, like, that's, you can't highlight that point enough. This is a very unhealthy uh, alliance, when I go to the New Testament, I'm not going to read the whole passage. I'm going to spare you guys for more reading. Uh, but in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 13, uh, Paul the Apostle talks, of, talks to those who are in Christ um, about separating themselves from ungodly practices, um, from breaking away from old patterns, putting away the old self, putting on the new self, um, that there is this distinction that we're to call out darkness, we're to separate ourselves from it. 
basically, there's no room for the, the follower of Christ to, to dabble in worldly ways. Um, so often in our culture, especially uh, within the context of American Christianity, we take the name as Christian, um, but we're not really Christian. We, we take the name Christian, but then we live according to the world and do everything um, that, that is not endorsed by God. And, and this duplicity of life, it just won't work. Like, it's incompatible. And when I look at this story, it seems like as you come to Christ and as you begin to mature, what's going to happen is you're going to find yourself at these sort of crossroads where you're going to have to sort of to, to separate. You're going to have to break the pattern. You have to stop bad actions in order to allow good actions to start, or you start good actions and then the, the, uh, the bad ones begin to fall away. This is such a, a difficult point to make because I'm, I, this doesn't violate grace. Like I'm not saying you do all of this stuff to get right with God, but in my own Christian life, when I first became a Christian and the Spirit of God began working in my life some like 25 years ago, I found myself with Navy buddies who if I was around them, Gunner didn't act and function the way Gunner wanted to act. And I would go out and I would do stupid things and then I would find myself in church on Sunday, super like beating myself up because this routine kept happening. And I was so, what was happening in hindsight is the spirit of God was like super convicting me because I was trying to live in the world and I was trying to be a Christian. And the reality is, is I had to crucify my flesh. I wanted to have it both ways. And I think in this story, we see a little bit of the crucifying of the flesh that Jacob finally had to say, this is enough. I need to return and be obedient to my God. I need to go back to my homeland. I need to leave at whatever cost. And God honored him and blessed him as he did this. In this story, I also think that we, uh, as followers of Christ, we need to, to surrender justice to God's hands. Like, so often, we want to vindicate the wrongs that have been done against us. We want to make sure that justice is served. And there's a time for us to say, you know what? God, you're holy, you're just. That's not my job to do that, and I have to leave it to you. In Romans 12, verse 19, we read, never take your own vengeance, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. Um, and, and so I think there's a lesson here. Jacob, he did his own things. He, like nobody's saying Jacob is perfect. He matures. He recognizes I need to move on. Laban has violated him enough. He doesn't fight back with Laban. He just says, you know what? God has intervened on my behalf. I have to honor God. God has blessed me and I'm going to move forward and you deal with God on your own. And I think there's a place for us to do that uh, in our own lives. And I think there is a huge lesson in the story of Jabin and Laka, uh, Jacob, and, uh, <laughs> Jacob and Laban of like, that they're, did I say it wrong again? Jacob and Laban. It's like a tongue twister. Like for the last 40 minutes, I've been saying these two names. Like um, Jacob, clearly, since he fled from his hometown, God has been sanctifying him and refining him. And the method in which he used to bring about this refining process in his life 
was this really terrible guy Laban. And that Laban like worked him and worked him and worked him and worked him. And through this process of hardship and suffering, something beautiful is developing within the life and person of Jacob, who will ultimately become Israel. In Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, we read, and not only this, but we exult in our tribulation. So here the Apostle Paul is writing this like great letter of Romans, and he's saying, how does the follower of Christ handle tribulations, suffering, hardship, things that go against you? He says we exult, like we praise, we rejoice, which is so counterintuitive that when you have a Laban in your life, whether it's your boss, a family member, or whatever, that you could reach the place of saying, thank you, God, for bringing this hardship in my life because I'm learning patience and long-suffering, which are the same thing, I guess. It's patience, long-suffering, endurance, like getting through this. Lord, help me not to, to seek my own. Help me to trust you to walk through this with you. It's the process of maturity that happens in, in the pressure cooker of life. And so the author of a Rome, we know who it is, Paul writes in Romans, and not only this, we exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance. And then perseverance brings about proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And so while these times that like 20 years of suffering under the hand of Laban is what Jacob went through, finally, It's time for him to move on. And he moves on, and he seems to be acting in a very gracious way with Laban. Um, And this comes with maturity. This comes with walking with God. And I think that this is sort of a thing that we see uh, in our own lives, that we need to trust God, that he's working something in our life. There are times when we need to step back from people and say, I need to put some boundaries here. There are people in my life who are in my life today that 25 years ago, I, I had to sort of say, no, there's no, I can't be in a relationship with you, but now I can be a friend with you because my walk with Christ has grown to the place where they're no longer stumbling me. Hopefully, I'm, I'm the harder object that is doing something in their life. Um, but let's pray. Okay, Father, I have said a lot of words today. I, uh, this is a long passage, and I pray, Father, that, um, that this story and its points would... Uh, would impact those who have heard, Lord, in spite of my inability to to communicate uh, your truth. Uh, I pray, Father, that by your Spirit and this story of Jacob and Laban and the years of uh, mistreatment and suffering, Lord, would speak to us wherever we find ourselves today. We thank you, God, that um, we can trust you ultimately to be a judge, a good judge, that whatever wrongs have been measured out upon us, Lord, that we can trust you to vindicate them in your own timing and in your own way. But as we think along these lines, Lord, we, um, we thank you, Lord, that you have been so merciful and so gracious to us because each of us have wronged others in our own right. And you haven't counted our sins against us. You have sent your son 
uh, to absorb the wrath that was due us for our sins. And so, Father, we pray um, that you would help us to be a loving people, a gracious people. Father, we pray for those who have wronged us. We pray that you would bring about uh, mercy and forgiveness and healing in their own lives. Father, we pray that you would help us to navigate the difficulty of these relationships. Uh, We know that you desire us uh, to forgive our enemies, to forgive those who have wronged us. Father, we pray that you would help us to find the balance of of relationships that that have uh, been fractured. Lord, sometimes there are consequences where the the relationship itself can't be restored, uh, but that doesn't mean that we can't forgive. And so, Father, I pray, um, Lord, that you would just give us wisdom as we live out our lives with you. We pray that if there are people that we need to distance ourselves from, that you would help us to do that. Uh, Ultimately, Lord, we want to honor you with our lives, and that looks differently for every person in every circumstance. And so we pray, Father, that as we yield our lives to you, that you would lead us and that you would guide us in the way that we should go. We thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. We pray, Father, that you would help us to be faithful to you. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen.